Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the podcast brought to you by Ori Clark, straight-talking financial and legal advice since 1935. I am Andy Ori, and alongside me today is my co-host and sister, Juliet Ori, who's on board and helping the cause of bringing the fascinating business stories of Ori Clark's clients to a wider audience with this podcast. And if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever the hell you will find us. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the tag is biz, B-I-Z, without B-S. Biz without B-S. Now, Julia, how are you? And who is our guest today? And what are we going to be talking about? Well, hello, Andy. Today's guest is my good friend, Ted Edwards, from London and Partners. Ted was born near Liverpool, the UK. Ted joined London and Partners in 2011 and an agency focused on creating economic growth that is resilient, sustainable and inclusive. Ted joined shortly before the highly successful London Olympics and since has account managed hundreds of successful inward investment projects from all corners of the globe, organized dozens of trade missions and mayoral trips to the US and Europe, and worked closely with London and Partners Network of Commercial Partners, the UK Department for International Trade and International Economic Development Agencies. Ted's current role is consumer experience team lead, wow, what a mouthful, on the Future Occupiers program, which we were looking forward to hearing more about. We're in good company indeed. Ted, welcome to the podcast. Julia, thank you so much. Andy, nice to see you. It's always good to spend time with you guys. So, Ted, I want to know what you are currently up to. What does this consumer experience team mean? So the consumer experience team is part of a broader team at London Partners, which is under the banner of the Future Occupiers program. And essentially, my role and and the role of the Future Occupiers team is to work with uh, a consortium of property owners, Westminster City Council, two of the business improvement districts on regenerating and re-energising the West End of London which in truth has been hit by the twin imposters of changing in buying habits and COVID. So you will find as you go walking around the West End, some empty stores and empty shops for the first time, certainly in my lifetime, and I'm old, probably for the first time since the Second World War, there are now multiple vacancies in in the West End of London and the owners want to see those spaces filled. So London Partners, as London's Inward Investment Agency, has been... Taken up the chalice. Yeah. So we, there's, there's, a, there's a consortium with the owners and the business improvement districts and, and Westminster Council to reach out around the world and find some new occupiers for those spaces. Exciting. What we have to do is build back better and build back differently because a number of the brands in those spaces, or rather previously in those spaces, haven't survived the stress test of COVID. So shops, high street shops now have to be interesting, exciting, participative, you know, innovative. experience. Yeah. Yeah, effectively, them acting as a warehouse is what's over, isn't it? You can imagine them yeah. sort of acting now as a um, 
a showroom where maybe there's a place that you can go in and they got one in every size if you want to go try on. But on the way here, weirdly, there's a massive cycle shop. I couldn't believe that was shut because cycle shops have done tremendously well. But that shows you the brutality of central London, what's happened to it. Do you know another weird fact I learned? Rats were starving in central London. Do you know this? No, I didn't know no, that. No, because no one was eating fast food in central London, so the rats didn't have anything to eat. So they started getting a bit creative, shall we yeah. say. But I mean, you, you, I, I'm quite optimistic about this. Don't you feel it's it's for the better? It's like who really likes shops other than well, the- I mean, it, there's a number of kind of moving parts with this. The, the, there's no doubt that buying habits had started to change already. I've got two daughters, and the amount of brown boxes that arrive, and you should see the green bin outside my apartment block. It's full to the, it's full every morning or every evening with with brown Amazon boxes. Mm-hmm. People get what they want online these days, and and in many ways, COVID has has accelerated a five-year cycle into one year. And the shops and stores have got to be different. They've got to offer something exciting. So to go to, to kind of go a step further, it might be you walk into that store and your body gets scanned and you mm. get told you're, a, you know... Need to lose weight. 38-inch waist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I like this. <laughs> Those days are gone. But, uh, you know, Adidas are doing a store where you, you can choose the colour of your training shoes and and and, and, and ah, choose see, the patterns. And, and yeah. So there's a ton of different and exciting, innovative brands around the world, places like South Korea and Japan and and, and the States that are, are pushing the boundaries of different things that, that are going to get people to come to the West End, have a bite to eat, do some shopping, go to the theatre, because the, the West End is multi-layered in many ways. Well, I have to give a plug to John Lewis, because I've been into John Lewis recently, and they have clearly been training their staff, who were suddenly exceptionally helpful, and everyone's coming up to me saying, how can I help? I'm like, oh, this is a rather nice They're all shareholders, that might be why. (laughs) But there there are different, you know, there's different layers to this, in the sense that, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading and research on, on this over the, over the months, and there are some demographics that love the Selfridges experience, that you can walk around and go to, to makeup and go to clothing mm. and go to kitchenware and go to, uh, you know, different elements of the shop all under one roof, knowing it's professional and you can ask someone a question and get an answer. And then there are other consumers who who will want to have some fun. There's a brilliant phrase, which I've, I've, is front of mind, which is competitive socialisation. <laughs> Yeah. I think that's what my family practice is. Yeah. So those kind of, the stresses on the West End, um, hopefully will start to lift. And part of my job is, not just me, of course, working with all sorts of different players on on this scene, is to bring some brands in that add some excitement and and, innovation to to the area. Well, look, um, changing tack slightly, let's get down to where Ted's from, you know. What, What was your first job, Ted? My first job after university uh, was in advertising sales. So I worked for an organization called Read Business Information, which was a business publisher. And I sold recruitment advertising. Uh, on... This is in Liverpool? or No, this is in Sutton. Sutton? Yeah, uh, in, in South London. And um, my... How did you come down from the north? Why? <laughs> I t- well, Took the train? <laughs> no, even more basic than that. Me and my friend Stu, we were at university together in the Midlands, and we hitched to London. No. And we stayed in a flat on the Bourne Estate, which is about 200 yards from here. So opposite the Yorkshire Grey pub, on the opposite corner, there's a road called Portpool Lane that goes down to the Bourne Estate. And five of us lived in a one-bedroom flat. 
shit. And had the time of our life. It was brilliant. Yeah, it's Because we used to walk into the West End and walk into Chinatown. I remember Stu, one one morning, he was fifth in the queue for a bath and hot water had run out, so he took a day off work. He didn't want to go to work without having a bath. <laughs> so, um, no, hitched to London and, and went to see agencies, got interviewed by Reed, and Stu and I both started work on the 17th of August, 1987, selling recruitment advertising. I was on Electronics Weekly and Stu was on Computer Weekly. Selling advertising. Selling advertising. Because this was pretty Bringing up random people saying, what about, you know, what about, you know, a bit of advertising in Computer Weekly or... Well, it, it well, listen, mate, no, it, it, was a bit, it was a bit more business-like than that because in, in truth, it was a license to print money because this is pre-internet. Yeah. So if you, if you had a product to sell or if you wanted to recruit a programmer pre-internet, what would you do? You'd have to go in... Business magazines. And actually, pre-internet, they were quite interesting ads in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because well, it was your only way out. to find information. Yeah, you, yeah. You'd flick through 100 yeah. pages going, oh, look yeah, at yeah. that, you know. Well, Julia, you might know the lawyer or the Law Society's Gazette. They're business magazines, you know. Uh, but these these products back then, I mean, I can't remember exactly how much a full-page ad in Computer Weekly would be, but... Robbery. For, Robbery. For long, you know, think 15,000, £20,000. Wow. Times 100 pages and do the sums on that. Wow. And they're great journalists as well as a result of that. So they yeah, were breaking they stories. Good yeah, good journalists yeah, yeah. who bothered yeah. to write good articles. Yeah, you were know. breaking great stories. You know, the journalistic integrity and independence was, was paramount, really, because yeah. if you're going to, you know, if you're going to read a publication, you want to know it's just, it's not in the pockets of... Yeah, it's an interesting question whether that's part of the bullshit that's emerged in in media magazines. Is is their advertising income dwindles? They lost they lost the power. They lost good journalists and they lost the ability. You know, to to they didn't dare upset anyone and bother to give them some money. Hey, mate. Know? Well, listen. What what killed the news of the world in the end? If you think about it, it wasn't a legal thing. It it, it was the fact that four or five advertisers decided they didn't want their brand associated with a publication breaking stories on. It's very sadly, you know, remember that poor girl that was killed and they, they were hacking her phone and her parents oh, thought... Oh, it was the phone hacking, the, yeah, wasn't it? Parents thought the, she was alive because the phone was active. And and B&Q and, and, and you know, all of those stores, all the, you know, the weekend, you know, the bank holiday home base, home base, you know, they all said, we don't, oh, we're family brands, we don't want to be associated... Four days later, the news of the world closed. It was it was advertising. It was, ah, okay. Was, it was the withdrawal of advertising. What was your worst job? Can I tell you my worst experience? In yeah, like? yeah. Not so much my... Well, I suppose it does tie in with the job. So I was in publishing for many years, and then I, I went off and did my own thing. I ran a recruitment business, and then for family reasons, went back into publishing. And after another five years, I then got made redundant. It was in an economic downturn. I'd kind of gone into my 40s... And I discovered that this kind of principle of flipping industries, once you get to a certain age, becomes really difficult. Mm. My advice to any young people is to try and settle what's right for you as early as you can. I'd say that was almost the last, like, don't be scared to change industry, no. but do it before you're 40. Yeah, yeah. You because know. actually, you just become a graduate then. Yeah, you know, well. I have no experience in 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 an, you know in a certain industry. Why do I think they're going to give me a break? And I'm probably going to be ten years older than the manager, and and they're thinking he's only doing this because he's been booted out of his previous job. But all of which is absolutely true. But I was made redundant, and I needed a job, so I ended up working for. Do you remember those daily deal sites that were a thing in? in they were a kind of a recession business, which was. You essentially go online and and get vouchers for cheap things, which were kind of lost leaders for businesses. So the principle is, you get a meal and a drink in a restaurant, but then you you end up having 
six drinks and they make their money back and stuff. So I started doing this in Brighton, door to door. And oh God, I remember tough. I remember I was I went into a hotel to see if I could do it. And I came out and it was it was one of those days in Brighton where the rain was coming in horizontally. And I had a hole in my shoe and I was standing there. It's all through this, I promise you. And my phone rang. And it was the it was my manager who actually was a really nice lady, uh, who I, I you know I, I, she she wasn't brutal or horrible. But she said, "Ted, we'd like you to go and sell a soft drink and a sandwich deal to cafes in Brighton." <laughs> uh, and I um, said, "Yeah, okay." And I pressed the button on the phone, and. I'm closing my eyes here. I'm going, I'm back in the, I could feel myself on the seafront. Right? <laughs> I was soaking wet. I had a hole in my shoe. And she's saying, go and sell a Coke and a sandwich deal to a cafe. And I just started laughing because I knew that's almost professionally as low as you can go. <laughs> You're on a street with a hole in your shoe going to a cafe to sell soft drinks and I don't even understand. You're selling a sandwich and a Coke to someone who sells sandwiches and Cokes. No, no. You, so they give you the... Va- so you say oh, to the audience, they do. you can get a sandwich and a Coke for £2. Right. It, retail price £6, so it's a deal. So people go in... But the idea is that once someone's in the shop, they then order They'll a piece of cake. Some, yeah. and so they're lost leader packages, you know. Uh, and I phoned her back and said... And I won't say her name because she generally was a nice lady. I said, X, I'm, I, listen, I'm not saying I'm the best salesperson on earth, but I know I'm not the worst and I'm, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm not going to carry on with this anymore. Uh, and she said, are you sure? And she was very supportive and she said, yeah, okay, Ted, that's it. So that evening I went home to see my girls, my daughters, and I forget how old they were at the time. I said, listen, I think I'm going to have to go back and live with my mum. I'll still come and see you every weekend or every other weekend, but I'm going to have to change direction. And in my mind, I thought, I'll go and drive a van and I'll be a happy van driver. You know, I'll go and get a job, a, a, you know, yeah, reasonable yeah. wage. I'll live with my mum back in near Liverpool. But some of this dry and got a seat. Yeah, warm. yeah, but just a bit of dignity, I think, might yeah. be the word, you know. But then, i tell you when it was, it was 2011, because this then led to a friend of mine, who you'll know, yeah. dear old Mike, saying there's a job going at London Partners, and it was just before the Olympics. And talk about the polar opposites. I remember going along to London Partners offices, which you've both been to, one evening, Tower Bridge in the background, all lit up, and just, it was like, from, from the seafront in Brighton with a hole in my shoe, to this West, to heaven. this heaven. L- London office, you know, overlooking Tower Bridge, and got interviewed by a brilliant guy, who I'm still friends with, Craig Harrison, who's now in, in Australia. And, and got a break with London Partners. So, but I, I don't know. Sometimes you've got to go low. You've got to go to the bottom to know what. Yeah, you've got to. What did, it make, what did it make you realise then? Oh, that's a good question. What did it make me realise? I suppose a bit of self worth. You know, a kind of recognition that actually, I think I still do have something to offer. But, but just, Ted, just, you are the best networker I have ever bloody met. Well, thank you, Julie. And you are the most amazing connector of people. Well, I like people, I think. I, 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 there's some great connectors at, our, at London Partners. You know, in many ways, we're in a very unique position in, 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 at London Partners because we're, you know, we're fully funded. We're a public-private partnership. So we haven't got that compulsion that I've had in most of my working life, which is to earn a book, you know, and be more competitive and be better than someone else and win yeah. win the deal. We are paid by, or rather, you know, financed by the Mayor of London and commercial partners, you know, and therefore we're in a rather unique position that we we, we can actually be 
collaborative and networks are all important to us in many ways because when a business comes over from Korea or America or Japan, I can talk to them and find out what they're looking for and pretty much get them to where they need to be or find someone who can help them get to where they need to be. Many years ago, I went on a training course that assesses personality types. And I remember I was told on this training course, I'm a resource investigator. I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. But it's just a resource investigator is described as, oh, the phrase, I don't know, but I know a man who can. That is you. Is so I was I knew I was a resource investigator, but I wasn't I, only now I'm in a job where I am now what I was told I was, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. There's another expression I like to use, which is can you find eggs where there's no chickens? <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate in shop. the military, these are the guys who can somehow find a solution when there's no obvious solution. So you have to be kind of innovative and you have to be kind of... Uh, yeah, it, lateral it, thinking. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's can you find eggs where there's no... We've got a problem, how are we going to solve it? We've got to solve it. We've got to find a way to do it. What are we going to do about it? Well, I know someone who could do that. We could do that. What about that? Fine, let's have a go. So so it, I think it's a mindset, really, that, that, that um, I'm now in a job that allows me to... To do that. To kind of be myself. And the other thing is, Julie, I like people as well. I like... I like meeting people. I like hearing stories. I ran a recruitment business for for seven years, interviewed thousands of people, and you drill down into people's stories, you know, in, a, in an attempt to find out what their qualities are and what, what their attributes are and their strengths are. It's not just stories for stories' sake. It's kind of, okay, what does that tell me about you? You know, what, 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 what does that make you? I, I remember, it stuck in my mind, I remember interviewing one lad who told me, I said, have you ever sold anything? He said, I sold my pony. I said, he lived in New Zealand. I said, we had a horse, I had a horse, and I sold it. And I said, how old when he sold it? He said, I, was, I think it was about nine. <laughs> and I thought, right, can you imagine yeah. a nine-year-old selling their pet <laughs> to someone? That's and you think, if that's not the heart of a salesperson, I don't know yeah, what it is. Yeah, it's a businessman. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one guy, do you remember those wristbands that came out? For, for, oh, my God, the wristband craze that yeah. started with Well, he was strong. mates with some footballers, and he had one of these wristbands on, and he went to a nightclub, and he, he, I remember him telling me that the, this was in an interview. He was a graduate, this guy. He'd never, never worked in his life. And he said, I went to a nightclub and people were offering him 30 quid, 40 quid, 50 quid, 60 quid for these bands that were kind of, they were bright yellow and orange. Do you remember? They, it's going back a few years, going back 20 odd years now. I remember this lad telling me he sold it for 120 quid in a nightclub and he just paid <laughs> for the night. I'm thinking, there's a salesperson, yeah, you know, wow. keep, keep pushing the price up. And, and, and cash in. Hilarious getting caught on the dance floor selling that for 120 <laughs> quid, wouldn't it? What's well, going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and now, a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts. Recently, Dominic Frisby sat down with Andy Ori and Jeremy Coker to talk about enterprise investment schemes. So Jeremy, why don't you kick us off? What is an enterprise investment scheme? Thank you. Well, the enterprise investment scheme is a scheme which is designed by the government to help smaller, high-risk trading companies to raise finance. It offers a range of tax reliefs to a number of investors who are going to purchase new shares in those companies. 
Yeah, it's great, to be honest. I mean, it's bonkers that in, in this country, if you can, as an investor, get 30% of your money back, which is, you know, that's quite impressive, really. Plus, there's a whole other release, isn't it? You don't pay tax if you hold it. Yeah, it's a really, really generous relief that really encourages investment. And, and venture capital companies can use it. It's called VCT. It's very similar and it drives our venture capital market, you know, being the, the largest outside of the US and China. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. So Ted, what's the most uncomfortable truth about being in business? I do think luck plays a really important role. I'm very interested in, have you read any Malcolm Gladwell? He's not necessarily an originator of ideas, but he's an amplifier of ideas and he brings ideas together. He writes The New Yorker. I believe, or did do, and he's done a couple of books, some of which I think are really interesting and really thought-provoking. But he talks about the fact that both Steve Jobs and Bill Gates happen to be between a certain age, living a certain distance away from the University of Southern California. Yeah, I can't quite remember. But he was saying they were of a certain age in a certain location when computer science was taken off, and they were allowed to go in and fool around on the computers. Mm. that were available to them. His his point is if they'd been three years older or three years younger and lived or lived 10 miles away instead of five miles away, they might not have cycled over there every night. And his point is there are geniuses everywhere, but you have to put genius together with opportunity. And if you're not in that right place at the right time, genius in itself might not be enough. You know, you need yeah. to learn the skills. You, you need to drive. You need to work. You do need to work hard, but you could Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Team. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, yeah, you're right. And you're dead right. It's not It's not just genius plus location equals success. It doesn't, <laughs> you know, you're right. There's, no, there's, there's a very similar story by Matthew Syed, who is the Olympic table tennis player. And again, I haven't actually read this, but I, I sit around in pubs a lot talking to friends about these sorts of things. And, and apparently Matthew Syed makes the point that I think at one point, like nine of the 10 British table tennis champions were born within four miles of Reading because there was a table tennis school there. There was a great coach and all these kids went up there yeah, and played so it. True. If they'd have lived 20 miles away or they were 10 years older or something, they wouldn't have been able to do it. You know, So I do think luck and proximity is important. You've still got to grab the opportunity and work hard and get on top of it. But I, I agree with you. I think luck is, is is tremendously important. But, you know, I also think kind of you make your own luck. So a bit like if you took the music thing, you know, you chose to change a job, you got a lucky phone call, you got a friend or whatever, but probably you moaned to a few friends about, I really need to fucking find something else to do and you got to get out there and let people know. Either. And dazzled, and he is dazzling. No, and he dazzled in the interview, absolutely. But you know that phone call came because you have to you have to tell enough people. Well, know? Andy, there's also there, you're right because there's another element to this, which is recognizing opportunity when it comes along as well. Of course, mm. that you you could call that luck, or you you know you've got to be lively. You know, you've got to have, your antenna's got to be out. You know, and you've got to. Meanwhile, be... you've got to ignore shit opportunity. Well, yeah, which is yeah, you, you feel like it'll come along like you know a yeah. golden ticket. But a lot of times, there's just lots of different choices you can make. No, but then it is opportunity, attitude, luck. Like, there is that, that third element. That might be the formula element. we could put on a T-shirt, yeah. yeah. 
Well, it's the third element of you've got to grab it, you've got to go with yeah, it. Yeah, you've got to recognise it and see it. Ted, what's the hardest thing you do in your job and how do you deal with it? See, diff- I know that you're a very good manager of people, whereas lots of people hate doing the manager. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't necessarily find that hard. Recruiting for years would have given you a nose yeah. for the people. Yeah, it did. It also gave me a kind of pecking order of... I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people... I know what an upper quartile looks like, and a, and this is no disrespect. I don't mean any disrespect to him, because with jobs, it's about finding the right person for the right job. It's like a seesaw. You know, the job yeah, has yeah. to be right for them, and they have to be right for it. I remember interviewing some candidates and saying, "Listen, you're brilliant, and you'll you'll be massively successful, but just not doing the sort of jobs that I'm recruiting for." Yeah, you've, you've got everyone's got to find a thing that that's them, haven't they? So there's no criticism of individuals here at all. You know, it's just. It's just that some people are suited to to different types of roles. I think the key is to find the role that makes you happy and, and you know, rewards you to, to the level that you want to be rewarded. Well, Ted, I'm relying on you to rebuild the entire of the West End. <laughs> We're coming along to the launch party. All right. It's going to be quite a party yeah. because, as you know, we the like to party. The be closed. There's a big hill we can go and stand on top yeah. of and wave a flag, Juliet. I've told you about that. I'm coming in fancy dress. Yeah. No, I actually like what you said because what, one of the things that annoys me is people are like, follow your dreams and there's this sort of sense of like, you know, you could be anything you want to be and stuff like that. It's like, well, I, I know very few people who the job they do is like the thing they love most in the world, but yeah. it doesn't mean that jobs are shit. And it, it, and it, it's sort of, I think there's something slightly wrong with that slightly overly aspirational concept because what, everyone's going to be an influencer now or something. I don't know, somewhere between those two things, like... On the one hand, if you love video games and you know everything about video games, well, don't cross out as an industry. It's a big industry in this country. You know, there are jobs testing video games if that's what you love to do, you know. Sure. But for a lo- for so many people, we're, you know, we have to compromise. I mean, you know. No, but I think we've gone wrong that we've got this whole concept that we've got to be happy and we're looking for the perfect life. And if you yeah. go back to our grandparents, they were happy to be alive, right? You got through the war, you had rations. Your expectations were way, way lower. We now are expecting this dream job on dream money and not having to work very hard. And yeah. This perfection and happiness, I think we have to get rid of that. I tell you, the happiest man I ever met, and, and I still think about this guy, I used to work in, in one of my periods of, of, of uh, redundancy. I ended up working for a mate of mine around a printing business, and I did some sales and marketing for him. And my kids were quite young, and I used to order this veg box once a week, which had, f- I think, five veg and two fruits. And you don't know what you're going to get just to write. It's whatever's in season. Ted, you were ahead of the game on all yeah, these Yeah, in hindsight, yeah. Anyway. This fella used to deliver it in his shorts. He must have been in his 60s. He used to be the highlight of my week. He'd come in, grinning and smiling. And I remember saying, mate, you love that job, don't you? Because it's the best job I've ever had. He said, I'm delivering this lovely stuff. I'm driving a van. And frankly, driving a van is the most fun you can have yeah, with your clothes fun. on. You know? <laughs> um, is it a big van? Well, it doesn't matter, does it? You shove a styro of coffee in the window. You know, you let people out at junctions. And teach, <laughs> you know, become a knight of the road, you know. Um, and this fella was just... Was just happy, you know, happy. So uh, I'm a big admirer of people who, who are happy in their own skin and find something that suits them. And it, yeah, it's this sort of this vocalization of it's not just like Instagram, but of like an entrepreneur. It's all about you know, you got to make it. You got to be an entrepreneur and stuff like that. Well, I, you know, you if you take it down a little bit, 
you don't have to be Microsoft. Do you know what I mean? You can be an entrepreneur. You can be a plumber. You're an entrepreneur. That's why I hate the word entrepreneur because it basically just means like, you know, working for yourself or doing your own thing a bit. You know what I mean? Oh, Andy, mate. I, so I did the university thing. My brother didn't. Polar opposites in many ways. Whilst I love him dearly and we're very similar, he's 18 months younger than me. And I've got two kids myself, and I and, and I know very often the difference or the impact one has on the, you know, the elder has on yeah, the younger, yeah. you know. But my brother was at school, and my brother went on to be a plumber, and all of his mates were brickies, plumbers, plasterers. I was at university, overdrawn, skint. I used to go back home to see my brother, and he'd say, oh, I'll go around to Dave's place. And I'd go, and Dave would have this open brickwork with a spiral staircase, you know, and all they'd all help each other out. So they buy these premises on the Wirral, cheap, do them up, beautiful places to, to, to live. I mean, not palatial, not big, but I remember thinking, hang on, I'm supposed to be the one who's, you know, the hotshot because I'm a student, you know, and I'm at university. Meanwhile, these guys are all helping each other out, working hard, getting paid, get, earning money. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very often about just, just kind of finding an angle, finding a lifestyle, being good at something, yeah. You know, I say to my daughters, and uh, Juliet, you've met my Ruby, you know, in many ways, and you're an example of this, Juliet, which is if you become good at something and qualified in it and you're still a good, straight, happy, positive person, you will draw clients towards you because they'll get the expertise, but they'll also enjoy the journey with you as well, you know. Who out there can we look to to learn from in business right now or in the past? Who do we think has got it going on? Well, this, I've met some great businesses. Any that stick out? Yeah, lots of them stick out. Industrial Light and Magic was a high point for me. R rather early on in my career at London Partners, I handled the account. Of, this is the Star Wars special effects yeah, yeah. company. All done in the UK. Yeah, yeah, because the talent is here. Yeah. And, I rem and it was run by a, a Welsh lady. I remember being on a call with her and a lady called Kathleen Kennedy, who is, when you watch the movies, her name will be like the third name on the credits, you know, a producer. I remember doing a call with her and Boris. Well, he I have to give him some credit. He was amazing on it, no? He was a great salesperson. He kind of gave her no choice. I have done a talk with Boris. Yeah. So in one of my lives, I had to, to do a presentation and Boris was the keynote and I was the next speaker and another guy was then going to speak. And Boris turned up on his bicycle late, said to me, can you give me some help here? What's this event about? What are you going to be talking about? Blah. And I gave him the spiel. And he went on stage and did his speech and he basically nicked most of my speech. He is a genius at like being able to arrive, deliver. It blew me away. But then I had to get up on stage again. He just it. nicked my speech. Yeah, yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'm not sure it's the best, but it stuck with me. Um, let me ask, I'll ask both of you because it was asked to me as a question. If someone said to you, you can have a little bit now or, or a lot later on, what would you go for? A lot later on. Andy? I think so, yeah. Wrong. Get what you can when you can, because the world changes and people making promises disappear and yeah, change right. their minds. Get what you can when you can in your pocket in the knowledge that there's more to be had later on as well. Yeah, yeah. It's Don't so get true. soft soaped. Oh, yeah, I'll give you that. Keep doing that for a year and I'll have you, there'll be a nice bonus at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you carry yeah, on. Yeah, yes. And then he gets to the end of it and goes, oh, listen, Ted, I'm sorry, but. It's been a terrible change. You know, we've lost this. And so that bit of advice stuck with me. I would say it's almost, and you might agree, I, you know, uh, uh, when I've uh, hung out with foreign people who've moved here to work, 
you know, they, they have such different cultural references about how do they get paid. You know, in some countries, it's like you've got to bullshit or you've got to yeah. stay late or, you know, you would never ask. And I'm like, well, I think in this country, you, you need to say something if you want to, if you think you need to earn more or yeah. you want to do a bigger job. But you always have to say it in a way that's like, I'm very happy with my job now. I'll carry on doing my job now. I'm very grateful for my job now, but I can do more. Yeah. You know, I'm capable of yeah. more. And I'll say two you things tr- on that, though, Andy. I, do think, yeah. I think the world's changed a little bit. I think younger people now are, are so more mobile. Mobile, they, they, they I'm not sure they think like that. I, I do think they will up and move. No loyalty? Well, I think it's a two-way street loyalty, isn't it? I, I think a lot of a lot of employers are not loyal to their employees, so why should employees be loyal backwards? Because the other thing as well I was, I was going to mention is, in years past, unions would have a role on that. You know, if people yeah. wanted to change their terms or their conditions, there was a collective bargaining that doesn't exist anymore. If someone wants to pay rise, it's, it's you versus the employer, really. Yeah. Whereas previously, you know, it would be unions saying... We need paternity, or you know, we need maternity, or we need those conditions are dangerous and and and, and such. But now like. you can leave, yeah. And 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 then there's so much competition, yeah. isn't it? What are you most excited about uh, for the future of your of your role? I guess. Well, I, I, what would make the job fly, so to speak, is a return of workers in London, a return to domestic tourists, and a return of international tourists. Because footfall is the big driver of those businesses, of, of, of why a business would open in the West End. They want customers. And currently the customers aren't there, you know, so... They need to put the Rolling Stones on in Trafalgar Square yeah. every day for a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, you and me could do a gig, Andy. We could get there <laughs> yeah. do it, mate, yeah. Um, so, well, I guess, and that's hand in hand with some normality coming back. I know I know some people who are, you know, psychologically struggling with, with lockdown. I'm of an age and, and, and my life circumstances are such that I'm riding out lockdown reasonably okay. I think for young people who are missing out, when I think back of my early days, my early career, with friends, you know, new workmates, earning money for the first time, yes, learning God, new that's skills. That's true. If you just great hit training. 21 and left yeah. university or whatever, or that. Well, yeah. we hitched to London for that life. Me yeah. and Stu, we ended up working in the same place. I met my future Certainly wife. Certainly, no five people Best in mates. a room. Yeah, you know, they're, they're all working from home, you know, young people these days. And, and that kind of serendipitous or learning by osmosis or listening to someone, listen to him on the phone over there, he's brilliant. I've got some lovely incredible colleagues at London Partners. And early on in lockdown, I used to do the equivalent of the walk past the desk, which is you'd walk past and say, how are you getting on? Did you, I saw your fantasy team did well this weekend or how are the kids? I used to just send a message to people on teams and say, should we have 10 minutes and just have the equivalent of walking past the desk just to say hello and see how they're getting on, you know? Did you um, walk past the Zoom yeah. to give it that sort of well, real? <laughs> you know, I mean, the other thing about Teams and Zoom is there's this bizarre kind of timing thing that meetings are an hour long and you go from A to B to C to D to E. Whereas in business, you know, it finishes at 10 to, you go and get a coffee, you go over to the coffee machine, you lean on the coffee machine and talk about the match last night and what happened? Did you it's so- much more intense yeah, did, What happened to your remotely. lad? Did he, did he get picked for the first team? He did, yeah. Oh, great news, you know. So all that kind of... Warmth, if you like, has been stripped away by Zoom and Teams. So, Ted, we're into our quickfire list. So, when we say these words, do you think that's business? That's you know, or you think it's just bullshit? Business being useful. (laughs) Yeah. Am I starting? Am I? You start. We'll go go, alternative. Yes. One hour meetings. 
Well, I can't say it's anything other than the bullshit after what I've just said, <laughs> yeah. haven't I? Okay, diversity quotas. Important business. Stand-up meetings. Business. Coffee. Bullshit. Slogans in the workplace. Bullshit. Pub lunches. <laughs> um, business. I've done more deals over pub lunches. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This country's function on yeah, 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 yeah. millennia. Formal work clothes. Uh, business, actually. I, I might be a bit counterculture on that, but you think it's important? Shirt yeah, I do. And tie? I do. I do. Right, you I do. are definitely a shirt and tie. You're yeah, yeah. Today. It's respectful. Very... Yeah. This one's um, a bit uh, technical. Financial reporting standards, which are the uh, standards by which um, they put accounts and stuff together with. Business. Yeah. NDAs, non-disclosure I don't, I've, I've never signed one because I'm a public sector employee. I've had people say to me, will you sign an NDA? I say, no, I work, I'm a civil servant. I don't need to... Everything is confidential in what so I do. So bullshit, and yeah. I agree with you. Bullshit, yeah. Emails. Ah, oh, business. Acronyms. TLAs. TLAs. Um, PPPs. Yeah. Public-private partnership. Yeah. And, um, TLAs are three-letter acronyms. Yeah. I think that is bullshit, actually. Office dogs. Office dogs? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Poor uh, Correct! Correct! <clears throat> I didn't realise there was right and wrong to this. Uh, I thought well, there was no right no. and wrong. Well, we're going to start publishing a graph of people's answers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Office dogs are moving up the league this yeah. week, which is interesting to see. Um, so, very good, Ted. That was a pleasure. Uh, if people want to know more about you or what you're up to, where do they go? I'm in the phone book. Um... <laughs> I mean, find me on LinkedIn if they want to drop me a note. I'd be delighted to talk to anyone, particularly if they know any retailers or competitive socialisation businesses that want to set up in the West End. Listen, I'll talk, I'll talk to anyone. So it's a matter of time before we have boxing and beer, really, isn't it? Yeah. Fact, I might trademark that one. Yeah. B&B. Um, B&B. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you for Ted uh, to joining us. A big thank you. Uh, dear listener, we'll be back with another episode in a fortnight. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or whatever the hell you listen to. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Biz Without BS, B-I-Z Without BS, where you'll find more helpful business content. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for us using the hashtags Biz Without BS and hashtag Ori Clark. Ori is spelled O-U-R-Y Do you care? Not really Until next time Cheerio Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935 To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you whatever your needs email us at contact at oriclark.com That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K dot com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.